The Economy is on topic with IU. My name is Kenny Smith with the Media School at Indiana University Bloomington, and today I'm joined by Kyle Anderson, an economist at the Kelly School of Business at IUPUI. Dr. Anderson, thanks for joining us today. Always great to talk to you. You and I haven't talked in a few months now, unfortunately, and since then, a lot has happened, at least in an economic sense, for certain. Since we had you on the program last, let's lead right in from your economics perspective. What's the overall health of the Indiana economy from a big bird's eye view? What's changed since we've talked last? Well, things are certainly opening up a lot, and really a lot of good things are going on economically. Not not everything is smooth and perfect, but we're, we're seeing all of the opening economy, and that's having real benefits in, in a lot of different areas. In its broadest strokes, and I know this is kind of unfair, but in, in, a, in a very broad way, is that in line with what we're seeing nationally as well? It is. Um, we're, we're seeing some job creation and things opening up back up, although, you know, it's been a little in, in Indiana, this is true for Indiana and also for the country, is the, the job creation hasn't maybe been quite as strong as quickly as we expected, but I, you know, I think we're seeing it, it happening and it's going to continue to build momentum over the summer. Speaking of building momentum, that's an interesting turn of phrase right now and a hopeful one as well. I'm reading headlines in the last few days that California is in a boom and late last week, the headline here in Indiana is that tax revenues have come in better than expected. Are there any state, any regional surprises one way or another going on out there right now? You know, it, everything's a little bit different, and the, the, the data is so crazy right now because you, you've got things. It, it feels like right now, if you get a number that's a month old, you're saying, well, yeah, that's the way it was back in, you know, April or May, but what's really happening right now and what's going to be happening next week? So we're, we're seeing some, some variation and, and different sectors getting hit, but, but Indiana's doing well. The Midwest, I think, is, is pretty strong right now. If things look crazy in some sense in terms of the data points, is that because of just general interdependence of everything or some other issues in play? Yeah, absolutely. How quickly things are just changing. And and we've really been experiencing that over the last 16 months since the, the pandemic started and things closed down. And a lot of our traditional measures of how the economy is performing, those definitions don't work quite as well when you, you kind of have these in-between categories of, you know, people are, the people who aren't working right now, you know, we saw a lot with whether it's unemployment or, you know, what's a, what's a temporary layoff, what's permanent, where, where does everyone fit into these categories? You know, this, this last year has been a, um, a bit of a challenge for economists to, to read the tea leaves. It's almost a cliche here, but when people see inflation, they tend to see it at the gas pump and at the grocery store. And recently, it's become difficult to not notice rising prices in a lot of those kind of market sectors. My dollar just isn't going as far all of a sudden. Tell me why. Well, a lot of it's just this whole economy restarting. You know, people, I think, just thought it was like a spigot, that you're going to be able to turn it off and turn it back on. And we've seen a lot of disruptions. We've seen it, uh, you know, maybe one of the areas we noticed at first was with lumber. And we noticed that, that the cost of building a house right now, it has gone up by a lot. So, and, and these are just disruptions when things were closed down and then the demand suddenly picks back up. Well, there's not always a, a supply right there ready to go. And, and what happens pretty quickly with that is prices go up. Demand exceeds supply. It, it's the stuff I teach to our students all the time. Um, it, and the prices go up. But I'm not concerned about it. 
but I know that a lot of people are. Will those prices come back down eventually? I think they will, or at least they'll, you know, some are going to go up, some will go down. Um, But I think that we're heading to a period of a little more inflation than we've dealt with. And just to kind of put this into maybe a, a longer term perspective, we typically thought of inflation in this country being around 3% per year. And what economists really look for is stable inflation. It's not that we want zero. You know, prices are going to go up over time. You know, our kind of, that, that goes along with a growing economy. And in fact, what we've seen over the last 12, 15 years is lower than average inflation. That really about 2%. Sometimes between one and a half and two percent has been our normal. So I think, you know, if, if pulling out my crystal ball, we're going to see inflation this year be higher than than what is normal or what we would even want that that three percent level that the Fed kind of targets. But I think that as we come back in the next few years, inflation is going to be, you know, back to that historical average. It's, it's that's higher than what we've dealt with in the recent past. One other sign that uh, might give people pause in the economy right now is this eviction moratorium that's been in place. Leaving aside the legality of that order, which remains an open question, more than 11 million Americans are behind on their rent right now. Rental assistance funds still up in the air. A lot of people feeling awfully vulnerable this summer, and that moratorium is due to expire at the end of June. So how does that figure into just our general sense of personal economies now? Yeah, I mean, we're in a an economy where there are a lot of households out there that are struggling. I think that from a policy perspective, we did a pretty good job of supporting a lot of households over the last year. But at some point, that support is coming to an end. And, and in this particular case, as you talked about, it's coming to an end this summer. Um, households on the lower end of the income spectrum are, you know, they're in a lot of jeopardy, you know, all the time. We we have a significant part of the population that is just marginalized and they're going to face challenges this year. You know, that probably doesn't impact, you know, most of your listeners and and most of the economy and and most households, but there are definitely some that are going to feel a pinch this summer. Just another place where the pandemic has really shined a bright, bright light on social and economic inequity that we have. It's easy to think of that equation, though, as as the renters. And the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities says something like 15% of renters are not current in the U.S. right now. But there's also another side to that coin, the landlord part of the equation. Uh, They're missing out on revenue as well. This is another important facet of of that conversation. Am I I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. That's absolutely correct. And we're going to see how, I mean, I, you know, obviously being behind on rent from a renter perspective or, or behind on collections from a landlord perspective, you know, some of that just is going to depend upon how, um, you know, how far behind and how much. And, and it's certainly the case that, you know, sometimes landlords aren't going to collect fully what, what they're, you know, what they're owed in terms of those rents. But Hopefully that doesn't lead to eviction. Hopefully there's an opportunity for that to get caught up. And I think there's also a hope from an economic perspective that the demand for 
work right now and for wages, there, there's going to be more opportunity at, you know, at all income levels, but in some cases, maybe especially at the lower end of the income distribution to start seeing some higher wages that will help, help folks catch up. The state of Indiana says they're trying to work with landlords to reduce the number of evictions, but just in terms of scale. If these evictions start coming through, it, it seems historically not quite unprecedented, but definitely devastating. Am I, do I have a right read on what we might actually see, not just intangible numbers, but in just tangible realities? Yeah, I, I think you're right there. That it, it will be. And, and part of it's just maybe been a, a buildup, right? If, if you stop anything for a, a year to a year and a half and, and then you kind of open up the floodgates, like it, it's, you know, it shouldn't be unexpected that we're going to see more of that going on right now. It, it, again, what the state maybe can do is help folks who are potentially being you know, evicted or, or moving on to maybe find somewhere else and, and, and create opportunities there. Also in the housing market, it's suddenly harder to find a house in which to live. Houses aren't staying on the market for long, and they are expensive if you see them. Is that as simple as supply and demand, or are there other market forces at play there in terms of the buying-selling market? I think it is. I mean, it, it, it can be explained by supply and demand. There's a couple challenges to it, right? It, as an economist, what I would like to see is, okay, prices are going up. We ought to have more supply, right? The, the answer seems to be pretty simple from an, an economics 101 perspective. Let's build more houses and prices will stabilize. There's a couple challenges with that. One is that part of the reason that the new home construction is going up is because of the price of new home construction is going up because of the cost of raw materials. So until a lot of these other things that whether it's lumber, windows, uh, other facts go, you know, prices stabilize a little more in there, new home construction is going to be expensive and it's not going to, to fit that supply very well. The other thing that we're seeing in more and more is zoning restrictions that prevent that new home construction. So we're, the government, whether it intends to or not, tends to limit the supply of new housing and, and really keeps that, that shortage in there, and that's going to keep prices high. It's better than to be a seller, but most of us, if we sell a house, we have to have somewhere to go, so now we're a buyer. Tricky time. Exactly. Tricky time all the way around. I've seen anecdotal stories of people in some markets who are writing letters, these very personal letters to home sellers to try and influence a deal to break their way. And sellers, of course, prioritizing buyers who can pay extra costs. It makes sense in a way. If I can sell quickly to you, there's less for me to do to get out of my house. But there's a troubling side to that, too. People with FHA loans are now saying that they can't get into houses. It seems, again, a bit abstract, but I'm guessing this creates some long and some lasting impacts beyond just my dreams for that particular house being crushed, but longer knock-on effects. It, absolutely. I mean, home ownership for the, in the right situation I mean, for a lot of households, their home equity is one of the primary savings tools that they have. So if they're not able to get a home, then they're not going to build that equity over time. The other factor that we're seeing in here is we're seeing more kind of Wall Street type investment firms investing in housing. And they're, they're doing it, whether it is to kind of 
flip housing in the shorter term or to, you know, come in and, and, and hold that as an investment for a while before they sell out. And it's not surprisingly that, you know, a Wall Street firm comes in, they're able to pay cash, they're able to cl- close quickly. So it does put, you know, especially maybe like first time home buyers at a significant disadvantage there. Talking about things like that and raw resources, there's also talk of labor shortages. And there's a lot of stories now of people who say they're not going to go back to work when the remote work stops. They don't want to go back to the office. Like their their approach to work has changed. Whether their employers feel that way or not remains to be seen. But all of that sort of figures into a supply line uh, system that seems full of kinks right now. What are other economic indicators are you as an economist watching these days? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly tracking, I, I, I think, this just general overall, you know, labor dynamic that, that you mentioned very much is, is very important here. And I think part of the question will be is that workers have decided that they do prefer to have some flexibility in how they work. Now that there's some of them are showing they can work from home or work remotely, that is a perk. And so then the question is, okay, if employers want them back and we have a hot jobs market, are employers going to, A, you know, one choice is to give more flexibility to their workers. Another choice is to give them higher wages to incentivize them to come back. But if employers aren't going to give on either one of those dimensions, it's probably a pretty good job market right now for those workers to go out and find somewhere else that will meet their demands. This seems like one of those things that you would sit back and say the free market will decide. And that makes sense. But my question for you then is how long does it take for the free market to make its collective mind up about something like that? Well, I think it's an ongoing process, right? I mean, I, I don't think there's an endpoint that we'll necessarily know. I, I think the economy is constantly evolving. And so, yes, we'll, we'll have a little transition period where, you know, six months from now, we'll have more quote-unquote professional workers will be back in their office, but I'm not sure we'll ever get to the point where we say, oh, well, everyone's back or, or we're at this equilibrium where some people work from home and some people don't. You know, the technology will continue to change and our, our work, kind of our, our work-life balance will evolve in the process. I'm interested, too, in the supply chain topic. It's not like a light switch. That's the way I think of it. You mentioned the the water spigot, but it's not like either of those things that, that you can just flip back on, given all that we've experienced in the last year. And there's a shortage of this, a labor issue on some line here, not enough, perhaps, uh, crop planting or harvesting over there. It's easy to see where the kinks then appear in, in that system. And it might be a little bit more logistics than economics, but when are we going to overcome those problems? And, and in that sense, in the consumer economy sense, we get back to normal. I tend to think um, that that it happens faster than you think, right? Markets, I, again, I'm an economist. I think that markets tend to work. And so, yes, these are these are some big challenges. But I... I I was looking at lumber prices because, you know, again, a month or two ago, we were really looking at saying, hey, you know, all the all this lumber. Well, lumber prices have fallen pretty dramatically over the last week or two, right? What happens is when high prices signal to producers that, hey, you can make some good money here if you can scale up quickly, and companies are pretty good at responding about that. So, you know, I, do I think it's going to all work itself out over the next, you know, month or two? 
not necessarily, but you know, I, I think these things, um, you know, over the next six months, yeah. Are, are we going to be able to necessarily do all the things we want to do? I mean, you can probably do them. You just have to pay a little more to do it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So if I want to buy a new car or have to buy a new car, I just need to hold on a little bit longer or a lot longer then? No, I think a little bit longer. Um, but you know, it, it, it varies. Um, you know, the, the used car market is hot right now. The, you know, the new car market, they're expensive. Um, you may have to scale back your expectations a little bit. Um, I, you know, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to, you know, deal with inflation or, or pay a little more. But I think that, you know, a year from now, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Unfortunately, not everyone can wait a year to buy a, a car, but that's kind of the way things work. So if we put all of these and the rest of the economic indicators together, supply chain issues, rising prices, housing, employment, all of this, if we look at it together when we're talking about reopening economies, I I know this is something that I asked you last year when we first met, when does it all come back? Now you've had a year and change to see what's happened since then. Are we going to get that roaring economic comeback that some people have been pining for? Yeah, I I think we're getting it. I mean, I I really think that it's happening right now, but that's why we're seeing so many disruptions here. And we're seeing uh, so many kinks going on is because the demand is there. It's taking a little while. You know, I, I saw an article today that the computer chip shortage is leading to difficulties for restaurants with their point of sale system and taking orders and making sure that everything goes through. You know, it's not surprising that, again, this is not a spigot you can just turn back on. We're going to have these disruptions, but these are a side effect of demand increasing and people wanting to go out to dinner and wanting to meet up with friends. And so while it may create some some hiccups and some headaches along the way, I think we're, we're seeing good economic growth. It will take a little while for everything to get smoothed out, but I, I think we're in a really good shape right now. Dr. Kyle Anderson at the Kelly School of Business at IUPUI. Dr. Anderson, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. And we thank you for joining us as well. For more information, follow us on social media. On Topic with IU is on Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe and download this podcast from services like SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Just search On Topic with IU on your favorite podcast provider. From Bloomington, Indiana, for On Topic with IU, I'm Kenny Smith.